Good morning. My name is Rachel Randolph. Soon to be Rachel Mead when I fill out all my paperwork for getting married. So praise God. Um, this morning I come to you to read the word and just pray that you would um, rest in his word, that his word does its work and let it do its work in your heart this morning. This is from Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing and meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This next section is Acts chapter 4, 23 through 35. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their hearts and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and we conclude this uh, series on prayer and devotional practices today, but trust me, this is not what I would describe as a final episode. I want you to know that through this series, um, which has been largely, um, you know, um, about my own journey um, during this sabbatical, so I appreciate you guys um, allowing me to pour some of my own story into this um, that I went through the last six months. But I want you to know that through this series, I think what the Lord is doing is he's opening the door to a world of possibilities when it comes to spiritual devotion and formation. But next week, we'll move on and we will start a short Advent Christmas series on the cast members 
of the Christmas story, cast members of the Christmas story. So we'll start that next week. But with that said, I hope everyone was able to have um, at some point a thankful time during this past Thanksgiving holiday. And let me just say, if you're struggling or struggled to find something or someone to be thankful for, I welcome you now to listen in, right? Um, enjoy this, what God is setting before you in this message, right? Indulge. Give yourself to today's message on power, the power of prayer and spiritual devotion. The Bible recounts incredible miracle stories. And with it, it sets bold predictions and lofty expectations about the power of prayer. But I must admit, like many of you, I have experienced prayer let down, right? And disappointment, hoping for something more dynamic to happen. I feel like I'm living on a wing in the prayer, right? More than it being a go-to money play. But, but here is what I forget, and we must remember. Prayer, our devotional life is not about our skills in executing the right combos, right? Prayer is about God being given and getting on the sticks. Prayer is what the Lord uses in this open world life as he wants to see things play out. Prayer is his tool that just happens to live and reside and be shaped in and out of our lives. It's like Thor's hammer, right? Mjolnir, I hope I said that right. God has put his power, some people can say it better, that's all right. I'm trying to be a halfway Marvel fan. But God has put his power, his hammer, if you will, his justice, his crush, his hit in our prayer lives. But he alone is strong, wise, and worthy, right? Enough to lift and swing power in prayer in our lives as he sees fit to handle what goes on. So what is God doing with that prayer power that lives in and through us? Our spiritual devotion and prayer life is used by the Lord as power to first, as we'll see, transform things. Secondly, transform places or spaces. And finally, transform people. The Bible is stuffed full of stories of prayer and its power from beginning to end. But today's messages come from the very beginning of Christianity. As a religion, after the Lord has died and rose again and ascended, and the Lord is seeking to make a splash after his death, resurrection, and ascension. And what we know as Christianity did not start with a business meeting. It didn't start with a planning meeting or a media strategy meeting of influencers, but with a prayer meeting in someone's refinished attic. And that pattern of devotional and prayer get-togethers were powerfully used to carve out, if you will, to hammer out in a hard-to-believe and rugged world, to, to hammer out a space, a, a road of spiritual and physical real estate for Christianity 
to grow and flourish into what it has become. Prayer was used to change and transform things. Look at chapter 2 again, verse 42. It says here, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And it says the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Right? So these believers are are wrapped up in prayer. And they said, awe and signs and wonders. And we'll get back to the sense of awe thing later. But do you see what followed? The Bible says miraculous signs and wonders. Now, when you research this idea of miraculous signs and wonders, it means that things happen that stepped outside or stretched or snapped the natural order and limit of things. Prayer sometimes powerfully colors outside of the natural lines. Its power doesn't have to go the natural speed limit. It doesn't have to obey Mother Nature. God can cause through prayer what hasn't, couldn't, shouldn't, can't, never, ever happen and take it and go there and make things fall out and fall in and fall down and rise up when they shouldn't. Look how prayer powerfully plays out in chapter 4. Right? In that passage, they pray for boldness after the government comes down on their spiritual activities or, or the church government, kind of church and state thing going on with some of the Jewish stuff. And, 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 they, and they detain Peter and John for questioning with a subtle threat of death and imprisonment. And this is what happens in verse 31. It says here, in this prayer, they pray, God, help us. In this prayer, the meeting, after this prayer, rather, The meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. If you've been joining us in this prayer journey through our sermon series, from the first sermon in Isaiah 6, this should sound familiar. Because in Isaiah 6, the building shook. The temple shook when, when they prayed. A, 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 what it means here, a building shaking from prayer, means that God was flexing in that prayer. And when he flexes for his people, things change. Like David Banner's medium-sized shirts and pants. Right? When he turns into the Hulk, physical things are not an obstacle. The Lord breaks through whatever is in his way. Any natural limitation must move and will move. He moves things through prayer. He transforms them through our prayers and spiritual disciplines. That's, kind of, that's the kind of power that comes through our prayer lives. You know what that means? There is no virus. There's no sickness, no circumstance, no chronological, logistical, biological, structural, big or microscopic, seen or unseen, known or unbeknown to us that can't be cracked or changed or disappear or appear or translated or melted or remodeled or or reshaped or even vanished or, or put back or put forward or wrapped around and balled up or hidden and revealed. Whether God uses a progressive process or an immediate divine smash that can't be and hasn't been transformed by God's power in and through 
prayer. God specializes in controlling and manipulating and transforming the natural order and consequence of things. One of the biggest arguments against macroevolution is according to the second law of thermodynamics that things fall apart naturally. Things go from higher to lower energy in closed systems. And that it would take an almost miracle amount of energy and power, right, to go from a one-cell organism to what we all see today. God is that intelligent and intentional miracle energy. If we in our situations and circumstances are falling apart, and they will, and we get sick or, or failing, guess what? That's natural. Especially now with sin, fallen humanity, spiritual evil beings all around. All, all those things leaning on and pulling and polluting our world, bringing them down into a breaking point. That's natural in your body and all things. But God's power through prayer pulls broken things together. And sometimes he shakes and breaks the naturally unshakable and unbreakable. When you hear about the new strands of stuff coming out, we should be thinking not what the new vaccine is going to look like, but what your prayer life is going to look like, right? I know it sounds corny, right? We're going to pray it out. No, God can do it. And it says here that the building shook when they prayed. It has a dual meaning. God was showing them that prayer not only transforms things, but transforms spaces and places with his power. Look at what was going on for the church at the time in chapter 4. Peter and John were unjustly arrested, detained, questioned, and threatened for preaching the gospel. And then released because there was no law to hold them. But look what happens. Verse 23. We're going to go way back. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Yeah, this was the council that arrested them. Um, um, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. And they said, oh, sovereign Lord. Creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by your Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battles, the rulers, all these systems, right? All these places, the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah, it says, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. Herod, Antipas, Pontius, Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness, right, in preaching your word. It says, it says, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. What are they praying for? In large part, for society. (laughs) For the call to change. To be a part of the change. For justice and boldness in the world. That will, guess what? Look at the history here it's saying. I mean, they're quoting a psalm from a thousand years before. Like, like years before this, what are they saying? That, that you would give us change for justice and boldness in a world that will keep acting unjustly against the truth. For God to transform and bring justice to, and them, to it and them boldness in a system that makes it difficult for them to live out God's truth. That in the face of injustice, persecution, prejudice, and deaf ears to the faith, that they would be free to keep on keeping on. In verse 47 of chapter 2, it says that as a result of the believer's prayer life, their devotional life, their, their spiritual disciplines, God gave them favor and goodwill of who? It says all the people. Of those in society. That was a powerful work of God to help them be able to have allies and and not only adversaries. To find folks who were pro them who were not them. Prayer can transform society to make people, get this, it can make them nice. (laughs) For once. And not sarcastic and not cynical and not canceling everything. And act with justice even when they themselves have no personal reason to be on board. You know what we Christians love to do, though? Especially in the social media arena. We love to explain who and what and how it's so wrong. Don't we? We love to explain that and and why God is mad at this group. And why you Christians should stand against or vote against this or that or be wary of this or that theory or redaction and how we should respond to and live in our country as citizens, mask and no mask, vaccination and no vaccination. We are all up in all sort of national uh, pundit stuff. We have all sort of national pulpits. Our best and most famous preachers get to be national and they talk and comment on everything. Anything. Right? You got pastors talking about CRT and they don't know what they're talking about. Talking about social concepts too deep for them. Talking about government stuff. They never took a government class in their life. And the academic world looks and laughs. Here's the difference. Fighting. All these platforms and blogs. It is influential. You know how many people are pastoring this congregation? (laughs) As pastors, we talked about it. You know how many people are discipling this congregation? Hundreds of thousands from their churches and these national blogs and pulpits and all kind of stuff. Preach to your people to get in issues. And let me tell you what it does. It does make them influential. 
But the Bible is not calling us to be influential. It's calling for us to call on our God to transform this world. And yeah, if you're an influencer and you're influential and you got all these people following you, it will make you feel good about yourself. And even proud. And even gain a following behind you and your arguments. You may get liked and hearted and thumbs up and down a lot, lots of attention. But these passages saying we believers should march and speak, yes, and get involved with a bold humility that says we are trusting the Lord to change it through prayer. And I know it gets complicated. But how much stuff do we actually walk out on and ask for boldness in after it's been bathed in prayer instead of just reacting to cause influence? We're, you know, we are trusting the Lord, right, to change it through prayer more than we are hyped on, hyped up skills of argumentation and ability to go toe-to-toe in the ring with our adversaries of truth and justice. And trust me, I want to as well. The way most of us PCA guys are trained, we're trained scholastically, right? We think we can engage with anything and anybody. Oh, this argument about what's going on medically, well, send a PCA pastor in, right? He'll find some kind of way to bridge it and look like the expert. And the problem is God has given pastors and elders and preachers positions of authority, and it's not designed for us to fight. We are not the movers and shakers. But those who are moved and shaken by the prayer-induced power of the mover and shaker, the Lord himself. We get involved in hope, hope for change in this world only because we have a prayer life. Don't start marching and blogging and writing if you don't have a prayer life. I'm asking you as a pastor, don't get involved in that stuff if you don't have a prayer life. That calls on the Lord to shake things and move people. You know, in the Ahmad Arbery trial, what was it, three that were declared guilty? Three white men in South Georgia were declared guilty for unjustly, unjustly cornering, shooting, and killing a black man, Ahmad Arbery. Is it Arbery? Or Ar- I hear people say it too differently. And what has been described as an unlawful citizen's arrest. And it was said at the press conference that a miracle happened, y'all. Doesn't feel like a miracle as much if you're not from an oppressed group of people. <laughs> oh, it's going to be tough. A jury of all white, I think, with only one black, voted guilty to the charges. A jury primarily composed of people who are probably tired of being told that they look like the people who caused the most problems in this country with their racism and historically oppressive privilege, right? They voted against themselves 
They must have known that, 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 that going this way would make it harder on white people and they could be hated by their friends and to look like they sided with Al Sharpton and the left and even Black Lives Matter. But they did it. Justice prevailed in a situation that for black folks is, hear me now, I know this sounds crazy to some of y'all, that is never assumed. When the trial went forward, it might have seemed clear to everybody, but when you're black, you'd be shocked when justice happens. Do you know that? We get shocked when things work right. We be dancing when regular old things happen. Y'all know that even when the evidence is clear, we celebrate as a people group like it's a miracle and still cautiously celebrate until the sentencing. You know, it's funny. We just know something's going to go wrong. <laughs> we still worried about Dylan Roof because we don't believe our lives are valued in the same way. There's a, there's a power prayer point here. And so what may seem like a plain out clear anything in society, again, is never assumed. And here's the thing that stood out at the press conference. They kept, they kept putting on the forefront that it was Ahmad's praying mother who kept on, the kept on, keep on praying mother who was most influential in the outcome. Not the jury, not the lawyers, the praying mother. Prayer changed the trajectory and justice tilt in society. That's what I love about Dr. Peacock's book on um, uh, spiritual practice in the African-American community or African-American spiritual practice, I, I'm losing it. Because each one of the chapters on a spiritual discipline follows the life of a particular civil rights movement person. And you know, as much as I thought it and thought I knew it, it never occurred to me that things change in society Primarily because people pray, not because they speak only. Because they wouldn't have, you see how the work, text works? They would not have had the boldness or words to preach and speak if prayer hadn't powerfully given it to them. Martin Luther King Jr. would not have had the platform, the platitude, the words, the, the perfect placement, the gifts, the abilities, unless somebody's mama or grandmama wasn't praying it to be so. Oppression, injustice, lawlessness, all the stuff we love to get involved in. Inequalities, environmental trauma of all sorts, sex trafficking, the history of African slave tra trafficking, which we forget had a huge sexual and rape piece to it. 
sexism, genderism, political terrorism, the housing and food crisis, domestic abuse, especially after COVID. What I would describe as spiritual abuse, dangerous spiritual exploration, experimentation, and resultant spiritual trauma, all that stuff must bow its knees and historically has, is, and will be transformed through the power of God's people praying. We must stop opening our mouths and keyboards with all kinds of pundit-level mess, adding more world, I mean, what I call word waste in the world. I mean, the world and social, the word and social media landfill is piling up and stinking up the place. Use the privilege of your hearing before the Lord to shake things up, to have things shaken and changed. You know, that's why I said to journal, right? To write. To, to text God, right? To communicate and submit your feelings to the Lord instead of cyberspace, instead of social media. What if you to actually take your journal and say, Lord, this is what's going on in the world. This is how I feel about it. Please move. I submit it to you. Lord, I mean, my, my journal is scribbly. It don't even look legible sometimes. I'm so angry at something I read. Because I have to submit my words I have to submit my boldness or what I feel to the Lord so it can be powerfully used and not just influential. And then you got to wait. Do you see how these prayer meetings work? Let's go and pray and wait for the Lord to move us. Then we'll go out and preach with boldness. And some of y'all waiting alone. Last week, remember last week's sermon about praying together? Some of y'all just, you know, Lord, and we, I talked to some pastors about this. People have these personal prayer lives, and all they do is say, well, I prayed, so I'm just going to do it. No. You pray and you wait with others. Right? Lord, okay, yeah, I'm so angry at this. I just want to write this. I just want to... You know, whatever. I just got to go talk. I just got to do my thing. I, I got to do me. Right, Lord? Yes. I heard you say yes. And then go on. Right? You know what one of the craziest things, and this is not, this isn't new, but it's becoming more and more prevalent, is, is members uh, getting involved and doing all kind of spiritual exper- experimentation and craziness and getting involved in this and that. And then the pastor says, why would you go that or whatever? The elder says, what's up? Or the friends say, what's going on? And they said, well, I prayed about it. Who? I. I had my meditation time. I'm good. No, they prayed together. So remember all the pieces involved here. And then you wait for the Lord to move. All right, let's keep going. But as I use that Ahmad Arbery illustration, I know it rubs some of us, even in this congregation and community, in a wrong way. Makes you pause, some of us. Little hiccup or heartburn. Because I am black, you think I'm probably biased to blackness. And you would be 100% correct. I am biased. 
and partial to what affects my ethnic tribe. I said it. I admitted it. And we all have optimistic and critical biases, and boy, this year has really brought it out. It's not much different than it was 2,000 years ago. Do you understand what's going on in this community? Some were pro-Roman government. Others hated it as the rebels and revolutionaries of the day. Lots of uh, Jewish lives matter, right, folks, and others who were what would be described as rich, sellout, Hellenistic Jews to the right or to the left Jews. Christianity was socially and historically and ethnically a disaster in the making. Let me say it this way. The second law of ethnic dynamics says this should not have held together, much less become the greatest spiritual movement in human history. It would take powerful prayer, not only for the society to change, but for Christian community to become. Look at chapter 2 again, um, verses 42 through 47. <clears throat> and we know, right, we know later in the story that Peter... The one they prayed for, he's pretty biased toward Jews, ain't he? <laughs> yeah, he had to get confronted right to his face. So, okay, let's, let's, let's look at this. So I'm in good company. Um, no, um, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to pray. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And then look at chapter 4 again. Let's jump down to verse 31. All the believers, right, um, were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they sh shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resur resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land and houses would, would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Let me, understand what's, let me help you understand what's going on. This group prayed in the middle of a Roman empirical democratic republic and a miracle happened. In the strong pull and flow of a society that was territorial and about class divisions and biases and systems and you get what you deserve. You're poor and rich based on your karma. A transformed, powerful, supernatural community rose up that was breaking down walls and building a relationship that wouldn't naturally happen. When we started Christ Central, we were going against some popular theories of church planting and growth. We were not looking for it to work because we had all the right stuff. Well, maybe we thought we had it a little bit. But we weren't expecting God alone has to make this community work and acknowledge that this is true in any Christian community. Man, I've been talking to my friends at churches. They, they all live in the same neighborhood. They got all the same skin color, driving the same cars. 
But boy, there is division crazy. Right? But I must tell you, multi-ethnic church community in particular is at an impossible place again. I don't know if you're kind of keeping up with it. Because of the storm outside and the sin outside and within our community, I personally, especially during the sabbatical when I had some time to think, I am personally not sure that multi-ethnic churches will hold. Not in what we were hoping and held promise for it to become. I'm seriously questioning. I don't know if I can stand for and in it anymore. I am letting y'all know. Okay, remember some of this some of this is personal and testimony. Let me share y'all. Naturally, as a black man in this country, in this presbytery and denomination of predominantly white conservatives, my heart and hope are failing and fading out. I was at a breaking point. Like many of you before my sabbatical, and the struggle is real and continue. At this point, for a number of black Christians, uh, a number of black Christians are walking away from multi-ethnic and predominantly white spaces. Many of us don't want to be an intimate community with white evangelicals, even those who are trying hard. Walking away. What? Emotionally and physically from a community that promised that our lives matter as much as nationalism and a conservative agenda. Right? That we really would have all things in common. That none of us would be in need politically or socially or justice-wise that you would share that fight with me. That as the Bible says here in our passage, that what we, they owned was not their own. That they would give up their political leanings and privilege and power. And I hate to sound like I'm pouting, but you need to know that I and others have not, do not, and will not stay because it is a good idea or cool or fun. Or we have some white folk who are finally up on reading the right books and we are gifted and blah, 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 blah. No. We, like anyone else, will stand and continue in the faith faithfully only through prayer's power. Not because of the right conferences. That's what's going to hold me. That's what's held me. I think the necessary transformation will take something second only to what we see happening in these passages, y'all. Do y'all really think that's what's going on in our country is, is a joke? What's going on in our churches is not a joke. We are so pulled by the polls politically with social justice and a race struggle in class. I, I, we can't fix it. Let me say it again. We can't fix it. We can't read enough books anymore. I mean, there ain't no more books for us to read. How many more arguments can we have? How many more racial reconciliation conferences can we have? I'm tired of it. I'm tired because I've been working in my own strength. You're tired because you've been working in your own strength. 
you don't have that much mercy. You don't have that much justice. You don't have that much ability to, to, to make someone else's struggle your own. When you go to the voting booth, do you think about somebody else or just what you believe and think? The range of which you could actually vote for and pull for and march for and still be a godly Christian is incredible. Your freedom in Christ is incredible to sell and give to someone else, to sell your precious possessions philosophically and go for somebody else. But you aren't generous enough. I know I ain't. I'm pulling for black people. I ain't pulling for nobody else. I love other people. I like them. But I'm defensive about my own folk. I do believe, I would not be surprised if our denomination splits or splits off. I would not be surprised if more multi-ethnic churches stop trying to be diverse. I won't be surprised if our country becomes two huge, bigger factions on the fringe of some sort of political civil war. Why wouldn't it? Because we're America? <laughs> what happened to the Roman Empire? We're Americans. Really? You forgot you sinners? You forgot the scripture here that says that the nations laughed and raged? I mean, the nations raged and thought they were great and God laughed? I just want to impress upon you. We won't be able to do it. It's the only way, y'all. I want you to own the need and promise and presence and power of prayer in your life. I used to think I could just maneuver it. I'm pretty good at talking. It don't work. It just burns you out if you're not praying. It's the only way we will believe and keep on believing again. Central to these passages and all the transformation that takes place is the ability, the supernatural ability to believe, which is more than intellectual assent, but mentally, emotionally, physically reacting and depending and being shaped by what has been given and shown. They are called believers not just because they became believers, miraculously believing, as chapter 4 says, in the preaching about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for them, coming to faith, but belief and keep Keeping the faith through the hardship, through the disappointment, through the struggle, through the selfishness. Christianity has never been a destination faith. It is not a resort for those who made the right decision. It's a journey that continues. Look at back at chapter 42. I mean, verses 42 and 43 in chapter 2 real quick. It says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. Back to the sense of awe, like I promised we'd get back to. The Bible says that it came over them. It overcame them. 
It means that it caught and then shifted and twisted. It bent, the Bible's saying, them in their hearts and minds and spirits. It pushed and in some places it broke and it wooed their volition and will and affections. The word awe is phobia, but it means to react to something scary powerful. Chapter 4 says this, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and what preached the word of God with boldness. The power of prayer shocks and shakes our lives from sleep and death. You know, during my sabbatical, nothing happened for three months. First three months was nothing but a struggle. All I saw was how much death was within me, my faith and my relationships, especially in my marriage. In fact, it got worse. About month three, I was convinced that I was not returning to ministry and that Kelly and I were on the verge of splitting up or living decidedly separate lives in one house, you know, just kind of being together because it's cheaper to stay together, right? And it was probably around month five and a half or six of doing the devotional prayer stuff. Kelly would even ask me not to be mean. But out of disappointed hope in what the sabbatical would do for us, I thought all that praying stuff would have helped you change by now. It was when she came back, about five and a half months in, like two weeks from coming back, three weeks from coming back, something like that. She went away to a weekend prayer retreat. When she came back after a powerful prayer and devotion session with Dr. Peacock, I'm going to describe it this way. A hole was opened up in the wall for our boys and for us. I'm going to just let y'all know, a miracle of belief overcame us in awe, right? God kicked the wall down so the light could come in. So power could reach in. And the Holy Spirit just seemed to lay. Let me explain how it worked, y'all. Because it's not always boom, right? It just seems like the Holy Spirit laid his weight on our hearts for almost six months of focus until it finally collapsed. It finally gave in to hope. Now the casing, let me be honest with y'all, the casing and the window and the beauty of, of that hole is still needing to be filled and fixed. But the Lord leaned in. As the Lord leaned in, his divine weight on our crumbling lives, through not just our prayer, but the prayers of many, it gave in. You will not believe. You will not break through that wall to trust and believe the Lord and have boldness to enter and to continue in the faith and in those hard relationships to continue walking in or towards freedom or vision or mission, especially in the church, if the Lord does not break through your heart, your mind, your soul. Through the power of immediate, hear this, or pressing, preserving prayer. Parents, Keep praying for those kids. And you don't even have to be a parent. Neighbor, cousin, uncle, aunt. Keep praying. Folks praying for your neighbors and neighbors, spouses on the brink, friendships that are crazy, faith that can't be faithful, ready to leave. Keep leaning. 
keep laying your weight and disappointment on him until the wall collapses. And sometimes belief falls in ways and directions you could not and did not expect or guess. Because belief is not a formula that prayer gives you access to. Prayer is an access point for God himself to get to you and me. When I talked about a hole opening up and the light and hope coming in, it wasn't some philosophy, wasn't some spiritual truth, wasn't some force field. What I saw in prayer is that God was powerfully created. God powerfully created and caused a hole not big enough, but right enough for Jesus to walk through and right up into our lives, into our community, into our society, into us. When it says that they were in awe and that the place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it is a clear indication that the Lord himself had come into the place. I want to say this delicately as to suggest God needs an invitation, but prayer calls Jesus alive to us. And prayer doesn't change everything. Through prayer, Jesus personally, Jesus personally changes everything. Our world is so enamored, y'all and controlled by those we call influencers. For someone to be that powerful as an influencer is on, is on things and people and places, they have to, had to show up somewhere, right? Back in my day, you had to be somewhere. We had to see you. We had to see you live in concert, right? But, but I mean, today, if you want to be powerful, let someone like Kanye or Beyonce follow you. Boom, right? But not much if you're just among the millions that follow them. When you follow them, all you do is make them more powerful. Your Lord Jesus is more than an influencer. He's the Lord. And when you follow him in prayer, he powerfully follows up and follows you back. And that changes things, places, and people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Oh, we are in a difficult space, difficult things, difficult world. It just seems so freaking impossible especially the race stuff, the society stuff, the politics stuff. And Lord, let's just go ahead and call it, it's impossible for man, for human beings. But nothing is impossible for you. Let the church be the place where we're the first to humbly accept that truth. Come in and change us. Cause awe. The awe of the impossible becoming impossible come in us and among us. Lord, we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.